0: Better call Saul. Season five is over. The whole season is over, but we're just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. Hello again, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro, and I am thrilled. That is thrilled. Mark that right now. Thrilled to be joined not just by Josh Wiggler this week. Hi, that's me. Josh is here. Hey, it's me. But also by the, D- Don Eladio himself, Don <laughs> Cesternino, Rob Sesternino, Rob, how are you? Thank you so much oh, for joining us for yes, this week. thank Beck
1: you show. both for having me. I wanted to come in and be the Lalo, to, to <sighs> come in here and really mix, mix up this dynamic that you guys have such a, a nice podcast. Everything's going so great. I'm going to come here and uh, bring chaos. Yeah. Lalo, yeah. your
0: favorite character, Rob, M- much yeah. uh, underreported last season. Yeah, you weren't were the biggest
1: last season. I'm excited to talk about uh, him in season five. Uh, what a great season. I really appreciated uh, listening to you both. It's a joy to get to listen to you two uh, break down a show. It was, uh, you know, I-, I was not sure I was going to be able to keep up in the real time, but uh, I didn't want to miss the podcast.
2: Yeah. No, you were, I, I remember, I think it was like around episode seven or so. We were doing like some pre wiggle room banter over at RHAP and you're like, I'm all caught up. Yeah. Was like, Whoa. Yeah. But it was that kind of a season, I think, uh, to, to better call Saul's credit. And Antonio and I, like the last few weeks have just been like kind of in awe at how good the season's been. Um, and I think, uh, it's just, it was that kind of year where like you wanted to like every week, like that was for you. You wanted to watch the episode.
0: Did you, Rob, listen to several episodes in a row as a montage? (laughs) <laughs>
2: yes yes i did uh so i think i had fallen like
1: three or four episodes behind at one point like we did the finale i think i watched the one after that in the real time and then maybe like i had fallen behind like episodes like uh three four five which in hindsight was kind of like uh the uh low point of the season not bad but sort of like just the slower part of the season
2: we're, uh, load, we're like loading the dock for the mission at that point right yeah. like i mean like that's like some base yeah. setting My- went to yeah.
1: mexico you know uh not not a ton of uh you know big things going on and then uh can you just
2: come out of the gate real quick here with just a mic impression for us it's been too long oh you're telling me josh <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, neither of us can really do it as well <laughs> it's really your specialty. Uh,
1: but uh, yeah, very excited to come on here and talk about uh, this uh, w- wild season. Uh, a season that I think went in a much different direction than I think that we anticipated when we were all together to talk about the premiere.
0: Definitely. And we're, uh, we're as I said, we're so thrilled that you would take the time to join us and talk. And we're so thrilled with the amount of feedback that we got uh, from the listeners uh, who emailed us at bcs at postshowrecaps.com, who tweeted at us who found ways to get feedback to us, uh, smoke signals, whatever. Uh, We really appreciate uh, all the feedback and very excited to get into that. But first, Rob, you're you're giving some overview thoughts on the season as a whole. Um, I think you're right uh, when we felt the same way about sort of slower points when we're down in Tucumcari and first meeting Mr. Acker and stuff like that, uh, throwing bowling balls around. But how did you feel specifically about the episode that they were so heavily touting from the producer's standpoint Bagman, uh, the the yeah. walk through the desert, the Vince Gilligan episode was that one of your favorites?
1: Yeah, it really was, and um, I, I I didn't know anything about it. Like I wasn't coming in like this is going to be any sort of like particular special episode. And I actually had heard from somebody uh, who had watched it. I said, "Oh, how is Better Call Saul?" And they said, "Oh no, it's it's uh, pretty boring, pretty bad." Uh, I was like, so I really I came in with like no expectations. And I was really just blown away that night. I was just uh, riveted. And it was so exciting. You know, it was very reminiscent of the Pine Barrens. And uh, I had no idea how it was going to turn out.
0: Pine Barrens, I think is a is definitely a good signpost. Uh they, these were like uh cactus used barrens. A sign post.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, could
0: have used some sign could've used some ketchup packets for uh, that matter, yeah. <laughs> instead of real blood. Uh, but yeah, we could have used we could have a lot of that. Yeah. Or worse, right. We could have used an interior was decorator. Wasn't it Chickl Savakian in the in the truck? <laughs> interior decorator yeah. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could have used all that stuff. Uh instead what we got was obviously classic Mike, classic Jimmy, uh those Those long nights uh, where they're sitting around evaluating any other high points of the season for you, Rob, or things that stuck out to you from an episode standpoint or from a memorable moment standpoint before we get into some of the specific feedback about characters or where we think we're going from here?
1: Yeah, nothing that you guys haven't covered. Uh, I just think uh, very, very interesting where uh, I think that, Antonio, you were uh, probably first on the podcast to sort of like... uh, plant this idea of that, you know, Kim really uh, could be, rather than where we came into this season really with a sense of dread, oh, Kim's not in Breaking Bad, well is she gonna die, is it possible, is it possible that there could be a happy ending in the Gene timeline down the road, uh, where it does not seem like that uh, a happy ending is uh, out there in the cards, and it's starting to seem more and more like uh, Kim isn't dead uh, can't, or I mean, or or if she is, uh, it's not like that. She was uh, an innocent victim in any of this.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Perhaps not surprisingly, we have a ton of feedback mm-hmm. about Kim uh, because we leave the season with Kim doing the double finger point. Uh, in in her case, actually turning them into guns, uh, which is not what Jimmy did as Saul Goodman. So she takes it a step further. Uh, and I, I think you're right. We we didn't necessarily expect it, uh, or we had some concerns. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick, the great vet Brendan Fitzpatrick wrote in and asked if there was any part of us that was kind of rooting for that ending for Kim a little, or were we shocked and remorseful? of quote unquote, your works, just as Jimmy was in that moment. Anybody feel better about Kim and where she's headed uh, going into the sixth season, the final season of Better Call Saul?
2: Um, I think I feel less like um, I'm still anxious about something terrible happening to her because I love Ray Seahorn's performance and I love Kim Wexler as a character, but I am now feeling more like the show can... can I have a lot of faith in the show to do whatever the show feels is right for the character right now. Uh, And I, and I think that um, it's, it's such a, it's such a treat that a prequel gets to pull this off because I think that this is a really difficult thing for the prequel as a format um, when you know the fixed end point, it's going to be hard to build a lot of suspense for a lot of these things. And uh, Better Call Saul being like a rare example of a prequel that's largely working. And at the time for much of it, it's because like, well, we don't know what's going to happen to Kim and we're concerned about what's going to happen to Kim. And it's a bit of a magic trick to me. You know, the premiere is called the magic man. And I think like there is like a, a magic trick that's played on us when you get to the end of the season. And it's really it you're now starting to see like the cameras pulling back in that same way that it pulled back on Kim when Jimmy said better call Saul or Saul Goodman last year that like no this is this is like the Kim Wexler breaking bad story as Mm -hmm. much as it's Jimmy's Um, and that's just very exciting storytelling to me that like I think that the 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 shock value of it even if yeah like Antonio you were starting to track a lot of this stuff I still think that there's this piece of you that's like I don't want to believe it I want to believe in better for Kim and so you don't believe that the show is really going to go there and then the show starts going there in a way that really works that gels that makes sense i think more than anything um i'm rooting for it only in the sense of like it, i think it's really really sharp and rare storytelling and i think that they just did such a good job this year uh primarily with the kim arc
0: rob the great uh david lipkin wrote in Uh, And David said, uh, Kim was talking almost directly to the audience in this episode. She isn't stupid. She isn't a mark that Jimmy has tricked into being with him. She isn't an innocent in need of saving. She's in the game because she chose to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't see this twist coming. This is to what Josh was saying, but it feels completely earned. The path to Saul Goodman's moral bankruptcy finally seems clear. It's not from something terrible happening to Kim. It's from Kim encouraging him to do something terrible. Do you think, Rob, that we're going to take that next step, that Saul Goodman really becomes the Saul Goodman we know, not because he feels guilty about something that he did uh, that caused harm to Kim, but because of something he and Kim did that caused harm?
1: I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really get the sense that the Saul Goodman that we see in Breaking Bad is a Saul Goodman that feels bad about something that he like feels uh, you know ashamed or is trying to right or wrong. Uh, he definitely seems more broken, and, and I wonder maybe you know could this be as a result of you know uh, a uh, a breakup, uh, a, you know a, a split from Kim, and maybe going in a different direction where maybe you know she. She ends up going off to you know have bigger fish to fry. Maybe she feels like that he's ultimately like too small time and ends up uh, leaving him, and uh, that ends up sort of like the state that he's in going into the Breaking Bad universe.
0: It seems possible uh, because you're right. The small time part really is the part that that is interesting to me. Um, that that Jimmy McGill himself, and I've said this on the podcast a few times, like he ends up a personal injury lawyer on some level. He ends up a guy who is just seedy and really has like a waiting room full of the worst people that are clients. Like the place at Beetlejuice hmm. uh, is in the hell's <laughs> waiting room there. Like it's I just mean, horrible.
2: Uh, I love the shrunken head one. I would love to yes, see that. Exactly. Well, office. look,
0: Hey, watch breaking bed. You'll see that yeah. in the background in yeah. Saul's waiting room. It's a terrible place to be. Um, it is not the kind of place I think that is full of these covert criminal kingpins. Uh, he seems to be a very low end, small time guy um i spencer y wrote in and said e. kim could spencer pointed out that kim could make a u-turn and go down to good choice road uh, perhaps maybe moving back to nebraska on her own terms and practicing law as her own little version of atticus finch um, but spencer also said kim could go down the bad choice road and maybe become a hyper competent likable version of saul goodman in albuquerque perhaps even becoming a queen pin of sorts as long as Kim is still alive, I'm all in for a potential spin off series called Just Request Wex. Spencer <laughs> ends by saying, do you think there is any way Kim gets out of BCS unscathed and without suffering some sort of karmic comeuppance?
2: Oh, man, I think some sort of karmic comeuppance is, yeah, inevitable. And I think like even like when you think about what what are the happy endings from Breaking Bad? So, were there any? you know i think is the the answer is probably no right like mm-hmm. the happiest ending is like uh skinny p well actually you know when you think about <laughs> el camino skinny Pete does like you're my hero jesse <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, he, he, he gets, gets to be the man he gets yeah, to and, show up yeah. i do think skinny p probably has the happiest ending <laughs> yeah. of I, any I've like regular character. Josh, <laughs> uh,
1: or at least since el camino uh, robert forrester is the ultimate winner in the breaking bad universe
2: yeah, I think that that's good, like content with his life. He feels like he's got some purpose. He's got very, a very clear lane. He's made he's a got lot a very, of money off these guys. He's made, he's made a lot of money. He does his business in a very cautious way. He doesn't take risks that are going to get him into trouble. Uh, and I don't think that we're going to modify that story any further, unfortunately, uh, given Robert Forster's passing. Uh, so yeah, he probably will max out as uh the, the most winningest character. Of the of the two shows, but I think like even like Skyler, like she gets to live, but she's now um, having to work overtime. Like she's working harder uh, than you know. Their situation is more destitute than um, when Walt was working the car wash, and you know now she has like the the stigma of being Heisenberg's widow. Um, you know, like maybe Marie seems like she is like finding some strength and resolve in Breaking Bad at the end of it, but she's still like estranged with her sister and. She's been widowed as well. Like, those are the happy endings. So I don't think, unless this is a a very different show, when you think about who the main characters are on Better Call Saul, one of them blows up. One of them gets shot in the guts and gets liquefied in a barrel. And one of them gets sent to Omaha to make cinnabuns for the rest of his day. And those those are the ones we know about mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, to think that Kim is going to get any fate that is at least sunnier than Skyler's fate, I think at this point is setting yourself up for disappointment.
0: Rob Sonny or Skylers, is that uh is that is that something? <laughs> I don't know. So I mean, I said the, the
1: the Kim Wexler journey I think is uh definitely like a, an interesting one. And it feels like that, you know, that this show started off as this uh Jimmy McGill story, but uh, I really feel like that the eclipse of the Jimmy storyline uh with with the Kim storyline I think was complete here in season five because i think that this character is probably more akin to walter white in terms of uh you know where she started what her intentions are and you know where it might go than jimmy where you know that uh that the nobleness of purpose that kim has where she wants to work with all these people and, you know, protect these uh, people who, you know, be a defender for those who have no defense and she wants to be, the, she wants to do this and and now she's also yeah. saying that the end justifies the means which is Walter White, uh, you know, that yeah. hey, I, you know, my, this is for my family, I have cancer, I have to do all this, I'm going to break the law and I'm doing these things and, you know, who cares if, you know, these people get addicted to drugs or, or whatever and again, the, the ends justify the means and I think that where, what we saw in breaking bad is you can't do that just a little bit uh it's sort of that uh you know gets you have an ego and it gets uh you know harder and harder to walk away and i I do feel like that uh that's more of kim's trajectory than it ever was uh for jimmy what was jimmy's nobleness of purpose he just wanted to be with kim
2: Right, right. That's really, really good. Uh, the comparison, I think, like when you think about like Walter White wants to cook the cleanest, purest meth in town. Uh, Kim wants to uh, conduct like the cleanest, purest law in town. She wants to champion for the people, and their their mechanisms of of doing this stuff. He's doing it for his family. She's doing it for people who deserve her talent, who deserve her quality. Um, but think about the lives that are being ruined in the in the pursuit of that. Certainly for Heisenberg it is a, a, a deep deep pit of bodies that he left behind um for Kim there have been some uh footprints along the way the type of shit she's talking about doing to Howard Hamlin is is really really dark and and that is like her crazy eyes in the basement um you know like crazy eight in the basement rather crazy eyes is a different show uh, I don't <laughs> think she's in the basement I think she's elsewhere
0: orange is the new blue uh, yeah orange uh, is blue, is the,
2: the new blue mess. is the new mess uh so I I think that that's a really really good comparison and again speaks to why I'm so impressed with this season and the way that it it turned a corner in this way of like you just you didn't think that you were watching Breaking Bad for Kim. Uh, you thought you were watching the Breaking Bad origin story for Jimmy. And yeah, that's still true. Um, but like the surprise, like it's all it's all been a lot of surprise along the way, because you keep thinking like, well, I don't want Jimmy to turn into Saul Goodman. Like, I like him like I th- I want better for him, all of this stuff. But like, you know that that's his destination. And you just don't, you never really quite think that with Kim. But I think now that we know that that's the show's intention, that the show wants to get a little bit darker with this character, that the roadmap is there. And as you really uh, astutely put it, Rob, I think like the the track of how Heisenbergian she is uh, is, is very, very plain to see now.
0: And her moral flexibility, that's the thing is she was seemingly rigid at some point and she didn't even want Jimmy's help in digging her way out. You don't save me, I save me. Uh, she was really doing it with hard work. And it seemed to me like if you look back over the course of Better Call Saul, the, the switch that flips that causes her to go out on her own first, uh, later going in in house uh, with Schweikert and Coakley. But the, the switch that flips is when she secures Mesa Verde and she thinks she has done enough to get the praise that she so richly deserves. And Howard Hamlin keeps her out in the fields and does not allow her to come back into the fold. That is a breaking point for Kim on on, on some level. And that breaking point has led her down this path. Now, it, it, she isn't making these bad choices on Bad Choice Road. She doesn't get into the game right away. But she starts dipping her feet into the water, I think. And she starts feeling on some level like, well, is the hard work really worth it? Because... Where does it get you? Maybe you need to get an edge. Maybe you need to work smarter and harder. And maybe you need to do things a little bit differently. And maybe Jimmy McGill is the guy that's showing me this that you can work an edge or you can do these things to get ahead. And as long as you keep this moral code, you're fine. Well, now the moral code's starting to go out the window. And she's justifying it by saying, like I said, it's some like steroid version of the trolley problem uh, where instead of letting the trolley diverting it so that only one person is killed instead of however many people are on the tracks. She's pressing the gas down on the trolley to run over that one person. Uh, and that's not a good deal, right? Like that isn't just moral relativism or her trying to be flexible with that. Um, that is her really going all in saying, I'm going to make this choice and I'm going after it. And I, we had an email uh, from Chris from New York who observed that it isn't just Kim that, that this show does that. And uh, Rob, I think you're right to point out the Walter White of it all. Uh, But Chris also pointed out that Mike is digging himself deeper and following his own choices. I think Mike calls it playing the hand he's dealt. Um, Gus can't see past his own selfish goals and revenge to avoid his eventual ending in Breaking Bad. So it isn't just that it's with Kim or Walter White. These these comparisons are there. I think just overall, this story, uh, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, is about these choices we make. Uh, And Mike's Bad Choice Road speech really encapsulates a lot of that. So I think that's a really good observation. Um, speaking of observations, a lot of people were observing that maybe it wasn't uh if it, maybe Kim is not going to be vacuum cleanered away, uh, and maybe that's not the ending that is coming for her. Um, Matt from Newfoundland wanted to know if it was possible what we thought about that still at this point, uh, if we thought that was possible. Pat A from Maryland hmm. Patty observed. That maybe, just maybe, if, if it is Gene calling Kim at the beginning of this season, if that's how Gene is going to handle this, then how could it be that Kim was vacuum cleaned away? Gene wouldn't know yeah. where Kim was. So, Rob, what is your thought? What are your thoughts on this? Do you yeah. think that we're going to see Kim being Robert Forster?
1: I don't go to the uh, Reddits of Better Call Saul or anything like that, but uh, has, has this been talked about where that uh, to go back to the flash forward that we saw from last season, Antonio, where uh, that uh, Saul is with his uh, receptionist. Is that, is that Francesca?
0: Francesca yeah. right
1: and, and and in that scene we see him like getting ready to call Robert Forrester but he also gives her the number of his lawyer to call and we had speculated at the time like is this Howard is it Howard and I'm feeling no way this is Howard uh at this point Howard's not gonna help out Jimmy in a tough spot but could could the the uh, information that he's giving to Francesca actually be um Kim Wexler
0: that's a good question. I think his exact quote was like um, something like, where are you going to be on November 12th at some mm-hmm. time? And uh, he basically says, I'm going to be there. But if nothing, she says, I'm going to be there. But like, if I don't get a phone call from you, I'll be gone. So I don't know exactly. Yeah, he gives her some kind of instructions. They had some sort of plan worked out. There was an I think you remember that we, that we talked about whether it was going to involve Howard. Um, it could be it, it could be Kim, but she knows Kim. Uh, so it's a little weird because she worked as Kim's assistant as well, mm-hmm. obviously. So I don't know. I don't know if Kim could be in that role, um, but I, I, I think we have plenty of reason to believe that Kim hasn't been disappeared. I don't know, Josh. Where we? I don't. We didn't really get into the, the the back and forth about this in the finale. Where do you stand on this now? If do you expect that Kim will be vacuum cleanered away at some point? Now, do you expect that Gene is reaching out to her or will reach out to her in the future? Is she somehow involved in this Francesco moment? What are your thoughts on this?
2: I, th- I think um, I'm I'm on board still and was and, and remain with Howard Hamlin being the person that Jimmy is referring, or maybe Schweikert is also a possibility, but like someone from from that level. Um, I think we've gotten enough. Uh, material on the board that Howard Hamlin is actually like a relatively decent guy if flawed in, in significant ways but is often like trying to look out for people's souls mm-hmm. to, to some extent uh, and I think uh, Rich Schweikert you could say similar stuff for he seems like he's always been trying to do things above board um, and now Jimmy has some measure of, um, of a relationship with him uh, I think that would be less satisfying than sending Francesca to Howard Hamlin obviously Right now, Jimmy has very little love for Howard Hamlin. But if Kim really tears him apart and if if Jimmy has of like if Jimmy looks on Kim's works and despairs the way that maybe Kim ought to have looked at how Jim Jimmy was taking on um, Chuck back in the day, uh, that some measure of empathy whether or not it's hypocritical like whether or not like well think about who you were a couple of years ago he's like well that was then this is now that he may have a different point of view on Howard Hamlin so I I think that that's probably coming Um, I think with the direction of the ending I think Kim getting uh, sucked up by the vacuum cleaner doesn't feel right to me right now Uh, I think that the show really is it's funny Anthony we recorded it before uh, Dan Feinberg's interview with Peter Gould uh, came out on the Hollywood Reporter uh, about the finale and you were the one I, I think as you and i were chewing on it we were talking about it's not just uh you don't save me i save me it's you don't ruin me i ruin me and completely independently feinberg you know busted out the same line with with peter gould uh, and i think that that's very much in the air and i think that like the vacuum cleaner guy i think robert forrester coming into the mix for the end game of kim's story they could find a way to make that work for sure especially if like it's something that's like kind of like emulating like the car wreck and how she walked away from that and maybe like could have actually stopped down and changed some things up instead of, you know, digging in deeper into where we are now. Um, but my instinct would be, no, I don't think that that's that's going to be yeah. a piece. Of and,
1: and just uh, I don't think that that's where we're going either, because what could happen that it, it gets it's so hot for Kim? That she's like, I gotta get out of here. I can't be a part of this. Like, it's not safe for me. I'm leaving here. I'm taking my money. Uh, I'm getting out. But for, that Jimmy can remain in the same city with the right. same associates. That uh, there's no mention. Like, uh, how how could they be so intertwined? And then have there be none of this blowback onto Jimmy, where he's able to operate independently, and that Kim is able to just get out of there uh, scot free?
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem likely. That's a really good point, because obviously there are there is one major loose end that made his way through this episode, perhaps unexpectedly, although uh, we we did get uh, an email from Adam Balaban who said when Mike told Saul mid-episode that Lalo was going to die, you just knew he wasn't going to die. It reminded me of a confessional on Survivor right after an immunity <laughs> challenge. Whatever is said yeah. doesn't usually happen, right, right. Uh, but Lalo did no make it through what, the episode. Lalo
1: is going home tonight. <laughs> He's gone. He's
0: gone. (laughs) You're done. Uh, (laughs) Now we're going to split the votes. (laughs) And then uh, unfortunately, a construction worker comes along and ruins that plan. Uh, But yeah, I, when Lalo made it through the episode, it it becomes very clear that this is a major threat at this point, not just to Papa, not just to the chicken man, uh, not just to Michael but also to Jimmy and Kim, for sure. He has to believe that they were in on this at some point. That is the beginning of the weird things that happened that ended with his entire hacienda being shot up. So those are the people he's going to come after, but he's not just going to come after one of them. and uh, He's not going to leave Saul scot-free when you know and just target Kim. Uh, so it, it doesn't seem as likely that Kim would be gone. It does seem, just speaking of that Francesca call, I hadn't thought about it much, Rob, but it does seem like... He's telling her to be there at a specific appointed place in time on a specific date to answer a phone call. That is the sort of thing that um, maybe could be like some kind of signal between uh, if Kim had been removed, Uh, Kim placing a call at the same time to the same place every year uh, so that she could just check in and say, I'm still alive. Even if it's nothing on the phone, even if the phone just rings and you pick it up and you know, by virtue of the phone call happening, that things are still good on her end. Maybe she doesn't get vacuum cleanered. Maybe she's just in, in personal hiding. I I don't know. But that scene, I think we're going to close the loop on that scene, I would imagine. What other things do you guys think we need to close the loop on? Uh, and I, I will tee this up. Spencer Y uh, wrote in and said, uh, do Paige and Kevin ever find out about Kim's baby formula on the blueprint shenanigans or anything else she did on toward with Mesa Verde? I don't think we're going to find that one out. What do you guys think about that?
2: I, I think we're done with uh, Mesa Verde. I, I don't think that... Uh, I think like uh, Paige and Kevin throwing a shit fit about the the milk on the blueprints would be like revisiting Shannon's inhaler in the final season of Lost, which mm-hmm. they did, which was inadvisable. <laughs> so like, I think yeah. like, that's inadvisable. And I think the, the writing is smarter than that. Like, I think like there's... Uh, one of the things that's great about both these shows is uh, they move forward with with a knowledge of, of, of things from the past, um, but they will only lean on the stuff from the past if they can find a way to really cleverly bake that in, and maybe they could, maybe they could bake the milk into something, mm, something milk. delicious, something good in the he final season, that. but it, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't <laughs> well, bet okay, on the so, milk.
0: So Spencer also has lists several of these. Uh, Spencer wants to know if we think we will find out um, who Francesca was instructed to meet with after solid left town for Omaha. We're talked about that. Do you guys think we will close the loop on that?
1: Uh, I do um uh, that you know it, it, this is not a season 1 thing it's a season 4 thing and it's also the only time that we ever went flash fo- forward into the breaking bad timeline in the history of this show and we wondered at the time uh, is this something they're going to do regularly uh it was not and that's why uh, it makes me think that Kim is somehow involved because I feel like that it, uh, you know, it's some sort of like it's a significant moment, and uh, I still don't think we have clarity as to why we saw that. My, I don't remember what other, you know, uh, the, the circumstances happened in that episode. It was sort of like dealing with the theme of that particular episode, but I think just the fact that it was in there, I feel like uh, brings like significance to it uh, more so that it was in season four than if it was something that just happened in season one.
0: I definitely agree, Uh, and it just seems like that was a distinct choice that they made. It's interesting to me that they haven't revisited that. Not the, the specific scene, but just more scenes from that timeline. I don't know why we crossed that Rubicon randomly in the fourth season and then have not gone back. It does feel like maybe they have a plan Uh, Josh, what about you? Do you believe we're going to get a a loop close on that?
2: Yeah. I think that that's one that, um, like that's, you know, whatever, like infamous cork board they have in the writer's room. Right. Like, I think that that one is dangling. I think that that one is very much on there. Like got to answer that. Like, it's not quite as like have to answer that as, uh, why does Walter White have a machine gun in his trunk? You know, it's not quite at that level, certainly. Um, but it is at a level where it's like, that was the one, Breaking Bad flash forward we've got if you take aside all the gene scenes. It's the only one. Um, and that's not a nothing deal. Um, so that has to be satisfied. I think uh, they are keenly aware of that.
0: What about this one? Uh, and this is one we talked about a lot on the podcast. Will we find out in Better Call Saul Season 6 what life-defining event happened to Gus and Herr Schuler in Santiago, Chile?
2: Mm. Rob, what are your theories about Santiago? What happened uh, what <sighs> happened in Chile? Um I don't think that uh that is what happened mission in, Santiago uh, in Santiago stays in Santiago. I think that
1: might be one of like those lost things where no matter what the answer is it will not Who's be as on interesting the other outrigger. Yeah, yeah. as uh, just the idea that there was something uh, about that. I don't think that that's going to be something that we need. To, we need to know to complete <laughs> I the, agree. the timeline. You know, for me that you know just sort of like uh trying to crystallize my, uh, crystal meth my thoughts uh, before well, the, don't do that. The, pot, the the pop the podcast (laughs) uh, of like uh how i was feeling and i and i just feel like that the the nacho story to me like where is this going like what is the story they're trying to tell with with nacho because i just feel like that in terms of like uh where him is the character that we could see her more on the walter white journey of that she was like completely good egg uh you know uh like uh positive uh i'm trying to think. i don't know like the chaotic good of law- lawful good uh to uh Chaotic evil. I'm not a that Josh help me out. I'm not a I'm not a uh yeah, a there's, lawful, there's
2: lawful good, there's neutral good, there's lawful chaotic evil. Good. I'm not sure
1: where she's going. Yeah. Um but the the nacho journey that I feel like that while we have gotten to see his family relationship, like has the nacho character really evolved from the season one nacho? And I and I wonder could he ultimately have a a, is his story not one from like uh being on the wrong side to even being more breaking more bad could he potentially be the person who ends up having the reverse of this like could could nacho be the person who ends up going down good choice road at some
0: point
2: is it too late for him That's interesting that's interesting
0: We've already seen the passports uh, with he and Papa, um, and we already know that uh, that Emilio is working with the DEA. Although we we learned obviously that that was a ploy, um, that that was by design. That was not unknown to the people that he worked for. Just how he stayed alive, um, but there are obviously uh, multiple possibilities with Nacho. Um, it seems like Lalo is an immediate threat to many of those. Uh, And I guess it's just a question of what happens with Papa, Papa won't leave. So if Papa won't leave, it doesn't matter what passports you have. It doesn't matter what plans or abilities you have. I just think that that's, that's going to be, if Nacho does not choose to leave the area, um, I think everything goes badly for him. And I think that's, that's just what it comes down to for me. I don't know. He's clearly not in the Salamanca picture Mm -hmm. by the time we get to breaking bad. Tuco is out of jail. Tuco is back. The Salamancas don't really seem to be that great. It seems like Gus has all the upper hand. Um, yeah, they're like point- in
2: like a like a the third floor of like a you know whatever building. Like there, that's yeah. the operation. Like they are exactly. they're nowhere anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. And delivery J pointed out that Gus had power over the cousins in Breaking Bad, and I think that's because Gus has all the stick with the cartel by that point. Clearly, uh, Gus has probably got the backing of Juan Bolsa. We're seeing those lines be drawn. So I, I just don't think there's really room for, for Nacho in that story. So in my opinion, he either gets out or or he gets got. And I think either are as likely. Um, when you talk, Rob, about no happy endings and we talk about the karmic retribution, um, Nacho's done a lot of bad things. So And the, just now he opened the door to the Hacienda and people who were, quote unquote, in the game, I guess, but mm-hmm. really adjacent, uh, died as a result of his actions, including an older woman. Who was probably about as innocent as Papa here. Um, so I just, the karmic retribution for that is probably not going to be that Nacho gets away on skates. I don't think it ends well for Nacho.
1: I just wonder is is nacho uh, and i 'm not sure if you guys have talked about this ends up being getting like the the jesse pinkman uh treatment where in some way he pays for his sins in that uh, we do he does lose papa uh but you know because of this uh journey that he 's been on through the first season and don't don 't forget i mean we 've been fr- with nacho the the yeah. whole way through that I have yeah. to feel like that he is you know a principal character in the yeah. in the show in the story they 're telling in this show uh does he he ultimately suffer you know a huge loss, but because of that it ends up like being the person who was able to you know get off bad choice road
2: yeah, I mean I guess that that is another one of those happy endings, right Jesse Pinkman lives Jesse Pinkman escapes, but he also uh watches uh Andrea die mm-hmm. right like it comes at great he also spends a year or so like the better part of a year in an underground bunker. <laughs> uh, and only being allowed out to 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 make crystal meth um, is Nacho, who has not gotten far. You would assume from Lalo. By the time that Lalo has taken down an entire elite squad single-handedly, um, is he going to get thrown into Lalo's trunk and driven around and like brought along as a passenger? Mm-hmm. Like, all right, show me everything that's going on. Push me closer to Gus Spring. Like we keep thinking that because we're at the final season we have to like um, speed things along and like close the gap on the timeline to get closer to breaking bad. But could we actually just like kind of like torturously draw out a pretty condensed period of time right now? So everybody's really on like overdrive on bad choice road right now that how do they not just like immediately smash into a wall? Um, But I think that like Nacho getting out of this in some way, shape or form where like Papa is dead, But he also goes to Alaska and gets to hang out with Jesse Pinkman, and that's the sequel to both of these shows. Uh, Well, let me point out this.
0: We got feedback from The Upright Man, uh, and The Upright Man said, the biggest thing to The Upright Man that is still on the table from Breaking Bad is when Mike tells Jesse that he, Jesse, is not the guy. Mike says, you are not the guy. Mike, Rob, do you you know this quote? Because you could probably read it better than I can, but it's, you are not the guy. You're not capable of being the guy. I had a guy. I had a guy. But now I don't. You are not the guy. Uh, And the upright man goes on to say, I think the guy that Mike had has to be Nacho. Mike says to Gus that he doesn't believe fear is an effective motivator. Gus doesn't listen to Mike in the moment and Better Call Saul, but now in the Breaking Bad timeline, he will say those exact words back to Mike in regards to Walter White. Something is going to change Gus's mind so much. And he alters the way he manages his subordinates. The way Mike keeps going to bat for Nacho and the way that Nacho demonstrated in the finale that he and Mike see eye to eye on who is an acceptable target makes me think they will form a strong working relationship that will impress even Gus. Mm-hmm. Of course, if Nacho is the guy that doesn't bode well for his future, hopefully his papa will be okay, though. What do you guys think? After that feedback, is there a possibility that Gus and Nacho come, become closer, even if it ultimately means that Nacho uh, has to take a leave, uh, either chooses to or, or is forced to?
1: Well, it could be. What if, you know, we've seen Mike advocate for Nacho with Gus. What, what if Mike ultimately wins out here, uh, which is what keeps, like, uh, Mike and Gus's working relationship so strong getting into the Breaking Bad universe where, uh, like, Gus uh, eventually gives in to... Like he relents, uh, yeah. Yeah, to, to Mike, and Mike is the one that helps uh, Nacho get out, maybe post uh, some sort of revenge on Papa.
2: Yeah, like he, he gets Gus to agree. Fear is a bad motivator. Let me, let me. Bend to your suggestion and let me get this guy out of here and let me save, you know, this this kid and his dad. And like he gets them out of there and is a gesture like that of not just doing like a good thing, but also being willing to to be an active listener and flexible enough to listen to to like not just want Mike for muscle, but to want Mike as a sounding board as somebody who's going to to speak reason to him because he has such a clear code um is that is that because we've been talking about this antonio like what's the thing that's going to put mike and gus closer together and i think something like that is not not out of the realm of possibility for me
0: yeah we got that exact question from trent c although trent did not frame it in that this context but trent said uh that uh, i like and appreciate the craft of better call Saul at the same time Some of the slow burn portions of the show frustrate me, recent episodes excluded, of course. Trent said, the prequel is answering the A to B question. How did Jimmy become the person we met in Breaking Bad? Along the way, we're being treated to other progressions, including how did Mike, the ex-cop, become Mike the Cleaner in Breaking Bad? Jimmy's story has been complex, as it should be, and it's finally starting to feel earned. For me, Mike's story doesn't feel earned for some reason. Gus appealed to Mike by saying, you want revenge, which is likely true. But does that justify Mike becoming an organizer hitman for someone like Gus Fring? Something isn't clicking quite yet to bridge Mike's gap from the show to Breaking Bad. Josh, I know we've talked about that. I think you might be onto something that there's a very good possibility that Trent's question and our question about that is answered by something involving Nacho, and it has to be something a little more positive, right? For Gus or for Mike to say, you know what? I'm really going to back this guy. I'm going to kill for this guy. I'm going to be all in for this guy. Because he helped Blank, because he helped Varga because he helped Varga's dad. That could be a a possibility for sure. Yeah,
2: I think so too. And I think think it'd be satisfying because we've had so much of not just Nacho on the show, but you know, there was a a great period of time on, on Better Call Saul where we weren't getting much in the way of Mike and Jimmy content, but we were getting a ton of Mike and Nacho content. So they go back a long way. Uh, That would be really satisfying for me. If Mike, if his, if his Better Call Saul storyline is really hitched to like getting a guy out of the game, that would be really, really nice. I would like that Mm -hmm. a lot.
0: Rob do you feel like we need more to justify Mike's role in Breaking Bad compared to where he is now with Gus yeah because
1: I think that Mike has not really had an arc in Breaking Bad like as we're approaching like the end game I think that it's important to the creators who do this show who I think we all agree are some of the best in the business of what they do that I think especially in the terms of a prequel you know we sort of like knew okay well what is the, like was Breaking Bad the idea they started with okay it was going to be an arc of taking a guy Trying to we Turn Mr. Chips into Scarface. I think that they do want to say, like uh, at the start of the show, this character is at point A, and how do we get them to point B? And and Mike has not really had much of a uh, progression from you know he's gotten a little bit more involved, but there he really has not had like a story that you can track other than he get got more and more caught up in what was going on. But I think that Mike, uh, that at, at his heart, he's always been about uh, you know how, how can I. do uh, do what's right for my family? I want to make up for you know, he has these paternal relationships, uh, with, with different people. Uh, you know, he wants to always like uh, make up for what went wrong with his son. And if he can sort of like uh, have that sort of like father son relationship with Nacho and sort of like uh, be able to get Nacho out in a way he was not able to get his son out of uh, what ultimately did him in, I think that that would be you know yeah. an, an arc for Mike Ermontrout over the course of this series.
2: I totally agree.
0: Definitely. Uh, And I think it would have been a a well-threaded needle, for sure. Because how do you do that Uh, when we're talking about the point A to point B? like And the things we know, we talked earlier on the podcast tonight about Kim Lexler and creating a new character and giving that new character an arc. But in certain of these characters who who need to stay out of the sun uh, and who you can't necessarily (laughs) completely count on... uh, having the ability to tell the story you want to tell with them, or you're putting poor Jonathan Banks through a lot uh, uh. in terms of being Batman. Uh, you're, you're, you're asking him to plot around through the desert. Uh, it's not great. So maybe there's a better way uh, to pay all that off. Uh, and you do that by saying, okay, we're actually going to tell, we don't just tell Mike's story in 5.0, which we did. We told a lot about Mike in 5.0 that we had never had. And if Better Call Saul had and lasted six seasons, uh, and we only had one or two seasons that they had originally booked from Better Call Saul, Five O would have given us a ton more information about Mike than we ever had from Breaking Bad. But now that we've got the six seasons and we know it's happening, I think it makes a lot more sense to plot out an arc like this, which is a lot more nuanced. Uh, and, and the bad choice road doesn't mean you're always on it. Um, Mike's own observations are that sometimes you think you're off of it, you're doing these other things. Maybe you're headed in one direction, even if you're taking these side trips and maybe helping Nacho out will be one of those side trips, even though we know Mike ultimately ends up where he ends up. We have 13 episodes next season rather than the standard 10. Spencer Wise said, With six episodes, uh, th- with season six tentatively planned for 13 episodes rather than a standard 10-episode order like the first five seasons received, how great would it be if the final three episodes of Better Call Saul formed the equivalent of a two-hour movie to fully flesh out Gene's fate after the taxi driver incident, as well as explore his potential post-Breaking Bad relationship with Kim, assuming she's still alive. Instead of Gene scenes, viewer would get full-on Gene episodes, comparable to how El Camino was basically the Jesse Pinkman epilogue in a post-Breaking Bad world. Do you want the same treatment, Rob, given for Saul to see extended content for his own epilogue and get this narrative closure?
1: So uh, I'm not sure. And um you know, uh, I, uh, you know, enjoyed parts of El Camino, but I think I ended up coming down on the camp of, like, I'm not sure, other than, like, being for fan service, uh, like, why it needed to uh, exist. Like, I'm not exactly sure, you know, uh, if Gene, is Gene running from, is, is this the cartel? Is he running from the the police? Uh, like, is this going to be some sort of, like, action, like, uh, like uh, Jimmy and Kim on the run, one more time. I'm, I thought that feels like a different show to me than ultimately you know, what we spent uh, six seasons uh, learning about here in uh, Better Call Saul.
2: And I get the idea of maybe doing it for some balance on the idea of like the Book of Bad, right? Like Because Breaking Bad had the show and then it had the movie sequel and now we've got the prequel which has become its own thing and should the prequel get its own movie sequel? And I really hope they resist that. I really think the Book of Bad ought to be Breaking Bad. They've got El Camino. They've got Better yeah. call Saul. Put that in hardcover and put that on your shelf, and that's good.
1: You want to save it all for the uh, Lalo sequel <laughs> franchise, Josh? I know we talked
2: about that. I'm, I'm out <laughs> that's on a, it. I'm that's out a, that's on on it. Referring I, to. And yeah. I
1: love Lalo. I
2: love Lalo. But like, no, thank if you. you. Please, talk you please, into please, it. please, I mean, yeah, but I don't. I really don't think so. I really don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, well, th- to- I want to know more about Rob's relationship with Lalo and how that's changed because you were you, you didn't like the Lalo yeah. when you were doing the, when you were regularly in, when you were in my seat here opposite Uncle Tonio mm-hmm. you weren't you weren't the number one Lalo yeah. stand
1: um and to be honest uh it's not easy to remember uh what I was ac- exactly uh, of course. mad about yeah. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but, sure, sure. but well, like he's he very, very t-
2: t- he's very tonally jarring yeah. and I think that that's probably it yeah. and like you only get him for those two well, episodes. Just like okay, all of a
1: sudden here's this new person who's just showing up and i really was like wait why why do i care about lalo like he's just here to sort of like uh like what is oh he's the new big bad like it just seemed very forced when he's coming down from the ceiling tiles like what is, he's like this uh, superhuman figure that's here and he just seemed like a, a menace that was out of nowhere and i felt like that this season I feel like they did a lot more with the development of Lalo. And they managed to, outside of the season finale, make him extremely menacing without having to say or do much. Uh, there were several scenes in the course of season five where, I mean, uh, notably, uh, when he comes to Kim and Jimmy's apartment, he doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't uh, threaten them in any way. Uh, just in like, a, tell me again. Tell me again. Right. Uh, just I- that he was uh you know really really great uh just in terms of how you know when when he is you know alone with Saul Goodman so there there's uh you know basically like I'm uh, t- talking to him about uh, going to get the money uh so uh, i thought that he was uh re- really really great in the way that they used him this season uh especially you know his, his scenes with nacho as well so i, I thought that he, they uh did uh much more with him in terms of like the quiet and the silence and and and
2: not having him be as crazy as he was in season four he'd be a great survivor player lalo mm-hmm. <laughs> very athletic so he'd win a lot of challenges probably but he could psych you out he could be funny He's good he doesn't social sleep game. a lot he is very tiny he, he does his best thinking at night yeah yeah, yeah.
0: You could bury your car in some kind of ravine and he would yeah. find it despite he's, your best efforts.
2: He's played by an actor literally named Tony. So Yeah, there you go. Uh,
0: no, it, it, I, I think you're right, Rob. But I mean, part of that is you have the guy slithering through the ceiling and jumping out and murdering an innocent person at the end of season five. You don't have to do much else with that guy to make him a menace after that. like It is very clear yeah. that he's a, he's a bad dude. I mean, in that same episode when Michael... Uh, blocks his way out of that uh, parking exit uh, with the gum uh, in the, the the slot because Mike knows so much about parking. Uh, Lalo just rams his car through the car in front of him. That's who this guy is. So he, he is not a guy that you have to do much more with once you've already crossed that bridge with him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so they I think they benefited because I agree uh, that that was so OTT, but I think they benefited from that for sure uh, by, by having that or, or already happen with Lalo. Uh, so that he is easily more menacing now. And he's a Salamanca, right? So on some level, you're worried about all these dudes because we've seen what the cousins have done. We know what Hector is like and how horrible of a person he is. We've seen the insanity of Tuco. So anytime a Salamanca shows up, somebody with that name shows up, you are just naturally worried about them, I think, and and of course the actor trades on a lot of great stuff. I love that they just show him <laughs> earlier in the season, just like when Jimmy goes out to meet him for the first time or one of the first times. He's just driving around in the desert, just doing rally laps, just like you know, just flooring his car around in the dirt. Like that's what he's excited to do. So this awesome. is a guy who does that for fun in his spare yeah. time. That's what he yeah. does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah. Love that guy. I don't know about a spinoff. I know obviously we talked about that. Uh, some of the other things, uh, getting back to what Spencer wrote in about, do you think we will see how Jimmy first learned of the vacuum cleaner service? Is that an open end that we need an answer to?
2: Um, one way that I think they could do it, and it would be uh, uh, totally acceptable for Jimmy later on in, in Breaking Bad to have knowledge of this in the same way that he knows what Gus Spring is all about, um, is for Gus and Mike to vacuum clean nacho um Mm -hmm. and so like because jimmy is aware of gus in the sense of i know a guy who knows a guy he could be aware of the vacuum cleaner in that same sense of i know a guy who knows a guy uh and i think that that uh, that would be totally acceptable to me i think that some sort of loop on the vacuum cleaner guy is probably likely of like i'm going to send you to somebody who's going to take care of it but it also might just be like nah this is just crime shit uh you get deep enough into crime shit and you you know the vacuum cleaner guy.
1: No, I think that's a good point. I think that that could be a good, a good way that uh you know Mike advocates for Nacho to the point uh and and then uh Gus is like, "Well, how you know, how do we how do we make him disappear?" And then uh Mike because of his uh whatever, you know, veterinarian underworld that he has uh connections right. into, I know a guy. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And we don't need to see the Robert Forrester. He could just like once he says like uh like uh you know he tells he tells Jimmy uh that you know he's he's got a way to do it. Of course Jimmy totally. needs to be connected enough to that world to, you know, uh be aware that uh, you know, Mike can uh, you know Mike knows a person who can do a thing. Yeah.
0: Right. We only need to see one half of that phone call, which I think right. is important if we see it at all, right? So uh maybe it'll involve Bill Oakley in some way. That's all we can hope for. Uh mm-hmm. that Bill Oakley will be involved with uh With the vacuum cleaner answer, what about um, speaking of comic relief? What about um, finding out how Saul and or Huel met Bill Burr's character Patrick Kuby, uh, and how he became part of their crew since he very memorably participates in Breaking Bad.
2: I'm good.
1: Yeah, I don't think we need to know that. Although uh, often I feel like that things we don't need to know are not the criteria they use to decide, like how we get things like Crazy Eight's backstory. <laughs>
0: Good point. Right. Yeah, right. that's a card on a board. Speaking of cards on a board, is the who finishes building Gus's Super Lab, and if there's anything else with that, is that something that's a card on the board? Or are we pretty much did the Germans, the Germans leaving... Did that uh, put put a pin on the super lab? And are we really not going to revisit the super lab again? In Better Call Saul,
2: I don't think we need to. Yeah, I, th- I I think that Better Call Saul now across five seasons has shown that it doesn't need to like satisfy all of the loose ends from Breaking Bad in order to be compelling. And even though we've got just one final thirteen episode stretch left, like I I really don't think that like. I actually do think that there is uh, there is definitely a way that this show can be very compelling in the end game without a, a trace of Walter White or Jesse Pinkman. Um, and if that's the case, then they don't have to do anything with the super lab. I think it's enough to know that it was something that Gus was interested in. We know that some years are going to pass between where we currently are in Better Call Saul and where that super lab exists in Breaking Bad. And I think the intention is enough to just assume the creation and invention of the thing. Yeah, I'm fine. I don't need the super lab any further than that.
1: They've got it hollowed out. We've met Gale. Uh, You know, I think it's reasonable to believe that, you know, uh, Gale, in conjunction with Gus, is able to, you know, uh, tell them what parts to order and get and get everything in there. So I feel like the
0: construction work has all been done. We also know that there are delays because of the meeting with uh, Gus and Herr Schuler with Lydia. That the lab can't be finished because Gus is trying to do this in secret, obviously, and not have the Salamancas find out. Because this is Gus's end around to not having to work with them uh, and to not having to work with the cartel in the way that he did. Um, so this is something that has to be kept secret. And as far as that goes, we saw that tension um, with Herr Schuler and Lydia about how the lab can't get back to construction because Lalo Salamanca got arrested, Hector Salamanca is still around, there, there are still problems delaying that. So I think until Gus has fully dealt with the Salamanca problem, which I think we will see obviously more of in season six, I don't think you can put the lab to rest. The lab is, is an afterthought once that's done. I think the, the real grist there is how Gus deals with the Salamanca problem and how Gus gets the upper hand with Ladio and Juan Bolsa and the cartel and everything there. So I think that's the story we're going to tell. But David um, PKs or David Peaks uh, makes a interesting observation. David wants to know: Do you guys think um, will there be any Breaking Bad scenes in season six of Better Call Saul that will be from a different point of view? For example, Gus reacting to finding out that Tuco is dead. Uh, what do you think, Rob? Are we going to revisit Breaking Bad from different points of view? Will the Gus Fring content or other content get us there?
1: Uh... I don't know. I I don't think we need to. I think that, you know, um, better call Saul uh, that I think that really in this season, I I think has uh, been able to stand on its own legs that we don't need to um, trade on what was going on from the other perspective of um, the uh, Breaking Bad timeline. I think that, as Josh was saying, I don't think we need Walter White or or Jesse. And if there's like some fun way to do it, that's something that's going on in uh you know season one of uh breaking bad is somehow coinciding with you know uh, the timeline of this great but i really don't think
0: that
2: we need to force it especially because i think there's something so iconic about just to go back to jesse and and walter specifically there's something so iconic about about cranston and aaron paul in those roles that like there was like an uncanny valley quality about seeing them together in El Camino. And I think like to jeopardize or like, even like y- you make the jokes about uh, how some of these characters look a lot older, even though this is a prequel. Uh, well, that's just life folks. Um, but I-, I think to, to have, to have Walt and Jesse show up and it not look like exactly right. Like Cranston can't put on a bald cap. It doesn't look right. I mean, it looks close, but there's an uncanny Valley quality to it. Like you got to get Cranston committed enough to shave his head. So that would mean that like you would need to actively like get him onto the show for a good, meaningful stretch of time. Dude's not just going to go bald for nothing. Um, I, th- I think they're not going to do that. I think that they've proven to themselves that, like, we have compelling ingredients on the table. We've got more than we need in the cabinet. I think that a lot of that energy and a lot of that menace and a lot of that sense of danger that would be suddenly infused into the Better Call Saul endgame by the arrival of Heisenberg is here by the transformation of Kim Wexler and by the inclusion and the continued survival and the very real danger of Lalo Salamanca. I think they've got that stuff. I think they've got the energy with the ingredients they already have.
0: It does seem like that. Uh, I I still think there is at least a possibility taking away, we don't need Walt and Jesse. And I, I, I think personally that they could still do breaking bad scenes without doing uh, without doing that, I think Gus reacting to finding out Tuco's dead is a good example, um, it's also just possible that we'll see the back end of Gus uh, with the twins uh, or some other elements of Gus's story that don't involve Walter at all because Gus is not a character in those first three seasons of Breaking Bad uh he becomes a character obviously in in the third season um, but he he is not especially until like the end of the second season, right I guess. Um, when the deal maybe goes south and then the money's not going to happen. Um, he's not there in those first couple seasons. Uh, you know, the first season is a little shorter, but I think we could see some crossover there. I do think some of that depends on what we're doing with Jimmy. Uh, are we into Jimmy and Kim in Breaking Bad in some way um, that the Saul Goodman that we meet in season two, episode seven, If if we get to that point, if we're walking right up to that point before Walter and Jesse come into that story, I think we could tread on some of that territory. I don't think we could go much further than that because then it is too much of the Walt and Jesse story. But I think we could fill in the blanks of what Saul and what Gus were up to before they came into the Breaking Bad story um, with stuff from Better Call Saul. Having three extra episodes is interesting from a lot of perspectives. We talked earlier on this podcast about whether we would want to see an El Camino-like episode or three-episode stretch where we're just doing Gene. What about, though? One of the things I think people aren't realizing maybe as they're watching, depending on how they're watching, is that Better Call Saul has used, as far as I know, from the beginning of the series, the same 10 credit sequence scenes. We have the fallen coffee cup. We have cell phones in a drawer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a urinal with the Better Call Saul matches. Uh, we have an unfortunate incident with uh, arachnid and a tie, which I don't want to talk about. We have all these familiar uh, Better Call Saul opens. There are only 10 of them. How do you stretch that out to three extra episodes and does it give them the latitude to do something a little differently in terms of how they open their episodes in, how they structure their episodes yeah. in general
2: yeah i think they could do a gene epilogue i think you could do as effectively you can do the el camino idea of like there's a movie sequel by doing like the final three episodes of better call saul because you have to satisfy jimmy's story in a way uh and and that you know is is uh like creatively fulfilling at least and also do the same thing for people like gus and mike whose actual deaths are going to occur on a totally different show unless we're just going to get a reverse angle on that and that does doesn't feel mm-hmm. good to me. Right. But like if if you if you cut it at a certain point in episode ten of season six, and now the final three episodes are about Jean. Kim Wexler. Do you bring Howard Hamlin back into it? Um, that that's all hanging there for me that I think, uh, like you could now have a show that looks and feels a little bit different in its, in its stretch and is like an expanded thing. And it's something that we've been waiting a long time to see that. I think the payoff on that would be really worthwhile.
1: um, I'll say I hope they don't do that. I hope that they continue to you know pay off the season, the show we've been watching for uh, five seasons, and you know complete these arcs as much as they can. In the you know timeline that they are in, and then you know uh, maybe like have like uh, story beats over the course of the season that you want to spend in the in the Gene timeline. But uh, I just think that it's it's going to be such a hard thing to execute well. I think that the more time you spend in that universe, the I feel like there's going to be like diminishing returns. Where if we have like a couple of scenes in that timeline, I think that that's good. That could go a, a longer way to answering questions where we can fill in a little bit more of the gaps as opposed to just like spending like two whole episodes there and then uh say like in some ways we might have to rush it because we're jamming more in there if that makes yeah. sense
0: it makes sense it makes sense uh there there are some natural things uh to connect uh and one of them we've talked about a lot, which is that scene from season two episode seven. Um, with Saul being taken captive by Walt and Jesse, taken out to the desert when he doesn't know who hmm. they are. He exclaims a few things. Janelle Castro wrote in, said, Hi, Josh, Antonio, and Rob. I know that this has been talked to death at this point. We're not dead yet, Janelle. But I rewatched the scene in Breaking Bad with Walt, Jesse, and Saul in the desert after the finale last night, and it got me thinking. Saul specifically says to them, Lalo didn't send you, and it wasn't me. It was Ignacio. This suggests to me, Janelle, at some point during season six of Better Call Saul, Jimmy and or Mike will learn about what went down at Lalo's house and that Lalo survived. Whether or not Jimmy and Lalo will ever interact again, I'm not so sure, but the mere idea of Lalo still being out there somewhere would be enough to terrify Saul forever and have him always looking over his shoulder for Lalo. As you've discussed before, Lalo could definitely be dead during Breaking Bad, and Saul is unaware of this fact when he encounters Walt and Jesse. Or perhaps, as you suggested during the recap episode, Lalo could be alive and in hiding during Breaking Bad for some reason, but I'm not sure what narrative purpose this serves other than setting up a potential spinoff or the character. Anyway, I know none of this is necessarily new information, but I wanted to get my thoughts out while I had them. So I have not necessarily been reading this scene that way, that Saul is basically saying Nacho did it, it wasn't me, uh, and he's being concerned that it's specifically Lalo um, this, I think, casts different light to me on what we might see out of the story here in Season 6 uh, and how it's told. Jimmy does seem like probably he finds out that Nacho is the one who set up Lalo, and that is not news to him at that point, because he, he didn't know that it was at this point in Season 5. So he's going to seemingly learn this at Season 6. Do you guys think Janelle is right about this?
2: Um, you know, one thing that, that occurs to me is that Lalo I like, the easy money, and we've been talking about it for a while now is that like is not going to make it out of this show alive. We thought it would be this season alive, um and then we talked about, well, what if they're keeping them alive for the sequel, but what if they're keeping them alive for the gene scenes? you know what if what if Lalo is somehow a participant in that in like a better call Sol epilogue?
0: Yeah, because Rob, I think you did a uh i think you're you're right to observe that it's not exactly clear who Gene is most concerned about being on the run from. Um, it, it seemed to me at, at certain points that it was probably the cops and the DEA um, when he's worried about his social security number being run through, um, seeing cops at the mall. It seems mm-hmm. like he's more worried about the cops than he is about his life in general. But at the beginning of this season, when we had the scene with the cab driver, that guy's kind of a menace. And I, it just feels like he's not there by accident, not the way he behaves and not what he says, like, you'll get it right the next time. It's like he's there for a reason. He's got muscle with him who just wanted to come along and see what was going to happen. It just seems like there's at least a possibility that Lalo could be involved in this.
1: But Jimmy does not, or Saul does not seem concerned about the threat of Lalo throughout the course of Breaking Bad. I'm not sure why all these years later, when he gets spotted in Omaha, that he might feel like, oh... It, this is this is the work of Lalo. Lalo's on my tail.
0: <laughs> Lalo was on my tail, and he hired a cab driver uh, mm-hmm. that was most recently seen in The Deuce. Yeah, uh, good point. Uh, it's definitely a good point. I I don't know. I just, it it does feel to me like they will get into some of the Breaking Bad timeline in season six. I I don't think that's a screaming hot take. I understand what you guys are articulating about whether we need it or not, or how much we need uh, or things we definitely don't need. And I'm, I'm in agreement we don't need to sure. see.
2: I also do think it's instructive to think about how did Breaking Bad end in how, uh, how uh, you know, and in, in a lot of ways, like, there there are people who walked away from Breaking Bad being like, oh, they really forgave Walter White in the storytelling, yep. right? Like, so, yep. like, that kind of storytelling in in the, the, the disembarkation of a, of a show like this could be, uh, you know, like, oh, well, we gotta put it back on Breaking Bad. Like, that's what the fans want.
0: Well, and as far as that goes, I mean, you talk about karmic retribution or got away with it. We know the fates for so many of these characters. One of the ones we don't is Gene. So it's a matter of, like, does he get away with it? Or is Jimmy ultimately not the guy, as we talked earlier in this podcast? And maybe his greatest sins aren't the things he did in Breaking Bad, but maybe something happened with Kim. Uh, we had feedback from Andrew Yu, who said, I hope that next season... Isn't the season of them screwing over Howard? I was happy to be done for the most part with HHM and Chuck and was hoping the story would keep moving forward and not have to go revisit Sandpiper, etc. I'm sure they'll do an excellent job with whatever the story goes, though. But do you guys, what's your threat level? Is it threat level midnight for Howard Hamlin? Is it something different? Do you think that we're going to get them going through with some horrible plan to take Howard down, Rob?
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't think (laughs) you put that genie back in the bottle. And I I do wonder if, you know, this culminates maybe in them doing something terrible to Howard and then maybe, you know, something like, uh, you know, something terrible like uh, he commits a suicide or something like that and that, um, you know, living with uh you know that blood on their hands maybe kim is the one to be like ah you know come on it's no big deal uh and maybe for for jimmy uh it's you know a lot to handle and uh that could be something that sort of like accelerates the split up between the two but i definitely feel like that uh something bad is coming with howard uh howard somehow has been part of like the main cast and the promotional material so i do feel like uh an arc for Howard is going to be, you know, a big part of, like, the culmination of the series.
2: Yeah, and I think that... uh You know, we've gotten on the show before of Howard uh, saying to Kim uh, and other people, uh, but I think it was the Kim was the conversation where he's like, I in a lot of ways, I envy you like he he inherited his role in HHM, right? Like, you know, it was nepotism that brought him to the to the head of this company. Mm -hmm. And he's talked about how, like, Kim, you've got freedom. You can go out. You can bootstrap yourself. Like there's parts of him that like envy that. And I think that like a lot of bad stuff happens to Howard Hamlin over the course of Better Call Saul and the appearances that he has had uh, where like he actually comes out on the other side like a little more whole like he goes to therapy after the Chuck stuff and he now like suddenly kind of cares about like making things right with Jimmy and then when Jimmy is like clearly doing all these nefarious things to Howard like Jimmy like is actually like why but why like I really Just want to know why and then like trying to go to Kim and be like, That's a toxic guy and not Because like he's vindictive towards Jimmy I don't gather but because he's like be Careful this is a vindictive guy See, I thought but it was I, a little tattletale uh, with... I, I didn't get that I didn't I don't get That from Howard I think from and maybe it's just Because I'm around Howard so we Howards mm-hmm. have to stick together um, But I think that Howard Could be taken down Horribly lose HHM and then Emerge on the other side of it, not like in a better position necessarily, but able to like make lemonade out of the lemons that are going to be squirted into his open wounds from Kim and Jimmy eviscerating him. And I guess not Davidson Maine copious, lemonade, right? Copious amounts of citrus into him. No, hopefully not Davison Maine <laughs> lemonade. It,
0: I just, uh, yeah, it, it's a thing that. I, I know they continue to want to work with the actors that they like. And I love that about the show because I invest in these smaller characters who become bigger characters. I want to see the Bill Oakley's of the world. And I certainly make no uh, exception for Patrick Fabian. And I love if you listen to the producer podcast, Patrick Fabian always had these interesting takes about uh, Howard um, and they have been his takes about the character throughout. And it's you guys are articulating him here about whether he's being a tattletale or not being a tattletale. What is his role in all of this? There has seemingly been some, you know, he, the, the, the takes that Patrick Fabian has about who he thinks Howard Hamlin is have not always been who the audience think Howard Hamlin is. And I think there has been a lot of interesting stuff to revisit there. And I do think it's good that he's a good guy, that he's trying to do the right thing, that he's trying to do the right thing has ultimately been his undoing with these horrible people that he keeps trying to do the right thing for. And I think there is some room for them to revisit the what the what the result of that is and I I wouldn't say that we're done with that. I think you guys are saying it's a it's it's you know no doubt about going to happen. I think there's a possibility that everybody that we've seen before, from Paige and Kevin uh, certainly to Rich Weikert, To all the people that have played a role in this story for these characters, I mean, if you're going to send Kim down a road, I think that road inevitably leads her to running over some of those people, to treating them badly. It's one thing to say, we can expose Howard, we can get that money, we can do good things with that money. Uh, But then it's another thing to say, what does that look like as you're pursuing it? And who do you involve in this caper? And how does that go? Cliff Main was already brought up by Kim as somebody who would react a negative way to Howard Hamlin. Uh, being having his uh, professional reputation besmirched. But I I just think there's a possibility that you work all these characters. in. if you're going to send Kim down a road that leads in negative places, those are the people that have helped her along the way. I think those are the people she could really hurt along the way as well. And I think it would be an easy and good way to show how far she's gone. Joe has had, for example, a really good positive mentor, mentee relationship with Rich Schweikert. We saw it come to a head a little bit in this season, but I think they parted ways amicably. She wasn't cursing his name out the door. We could see a very different aspect of their relationship next year uh, or next season if Kim is a different person. It's an easy way to show that. All of a sudden, she thinks Rich is a terrible person, uh, which, which is what Jimmy's been saying all along. Or all of a sudden, she treats him differently or treats people at that firm differently or treats Paige and Kevin differently instead of kissing their ass. She says horrible things to them or does horrible things to them. I think all of those things are possible if you're telling the story of what a different Kim Wexler looks like. And Howard Hamlin certainly plays a role in that as well. And so I think we're definitely going to revisit it. And then we're going to revisit it in in the ways that you guys talked about and, and more probably. Um, Evan G wants to know, just generally speaking with regard to Gene, do you think they'll utilize the Wizard of Oz motif at some point and turn Gene's world into color? I've seen other people... Uh, sent this in as well. So, Rob, you were scoffing a little bit. Do you think we're going to see a color? We did see a little color in Gene's world. Don't forget, the beginning of the series, one of the very last segments we see of Gene, he's watching his ads on the TV, and the only color in his world are the ads reflecting off of his glasses and seeing the colorful Saul Goodman world reflecting in his black and white lenses. So they have already played with that. Do you think they go all in with Gene and color and Kim maybe next season? (sighs)
1: Boy, uh, I don't know. Um, I think it really depends on how much time we spend there. You know, if we're going to have full episodes, I think we probably have to uh, go, you know, full color. I don't think we want to go like completely noir in uh, the uh, like for multiple episodes. If it continues to be like vignettes or snippets uh, that I think we will continue with uh, going with the color scheme. You know, color theory is so big in the Breaking Bad universe. So I think that they'll continue to uh, go with that.
0: Josh, you think we're going to switch colors at Gene at some point? Yeah, at some point. Yeah. I think so too. I, I think, or, or it just could be, it's hard to know if the color is in the way that we saw Josh uh, on Sam Esmail's Homecoming on Amazon, uh, where there was a visual motif yeah. uh, that told a story. Um, maybe what was not, what the reason we're not seeing color in Gene's world is because Gene doesn't see it. And if Kim comes into that world in some way... That's where Gene sees color again. Like maybe that's part of it. We're seeing it through his eyes and it's just drab and boring, but mm-hmm. it, it, it livens up when, when something changes. So yep. it could be that kind of stylistic choice. Uh, speaking of stylistic choices, um, we talked, you talked about, uh, Josh, these characters looking older, uh, as they're, <laughs> as they're aging. Johnny D. Silvera wrote in The Great Johnny D. Silvera and Johnny D. Silvera said, is it just me? Or does Don Eladio look older in Better yeah. Call Saul than in Breaking Bad? Well, that's because the actor's older.
1: <laughs> that's it. You're not having this at all, this complaint,
2: Josh. <laughs> no, and Johnny knows I love him. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's the actor got older. Yeah. And so did Jonathan Banks, and so did uh, Bob Odenkirk.
0: Do you, uh, you, you think Johnny meant Ray, to say younger? Sehorne, you...
2: Ray, Ray Seahorn isn't in Breaking Bad, but I imagine that she's older now than she was when Breaking Bad mm-hmm. was filming.
0: Is she going to look younger if they do the scenes in the Breaking Bad timeline? How do we, just to keep up consistency, do we have to make her look younger, like Mike looks younger, like Gus looks younger, like Jimmy looks younger? Do we have to make a Ray Seahorn, if she's in the Breaking Bad timeline, look younger?
2: I don't know. I'm I'm such a fan of chicanery generally, but I don't know why I'm just not, I'm not having it with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I just don't want this one. Get this off my plate. I That's love fair. you, JDS. JDS knows I love him.
0: Well, what else is on your plate, Josh or Rob? Do you guys have anything else that you'd like to talk about with this season of Better Call Saul? So I'll start with you, Josh. We we're a week out uh, or a little bit more from our thoughts on the finale. Does um, anything from the conversation we've had tonight or anything else occurred to you in that week that you want to get off your chest before we wrap there's, up here.
2: There's a piece of me that's like, Oh man, I don't want this show to end. They're just starting to like activate Kim Wexler in this way. And I want to see a lot of that. And at the other part of me is, is uh, the one that I think is, is the, is the correct instinct, which is like, get out of the party before you overstay your welcome. And I, and I think like Kim, before she turns into like a rage monster doing keggers, you know, like, get get her out of here. Take her home so she's not too hungover in the morning. Uh, I, I think Better Call Saul is doing the right thing in wrapping up. I do just feel really hyped on the story right now and really baked into the details. And I know it's not going to be, uh, unless I do the full rewatch again, like, I just won't feel quite as fresh on it when when we get there. So I guess I'll probably have to do the full rewatch again well, you're once, doing it. once we get there. And yeah. so I'm going to... You can just I'm, listen I'm, to the whole season of podcasts you know I try not to do that because it makes me feel weird um, but I, I, I look forward to that because that's probably like what a year and a half from now something like that at the soonest would be my bet maybe a year from now seems really soon um, and I think I'll be really ready but I'm, I'm sad to walk away from it right now you because think I feel I like old then yeah, <laughs> yeah you know uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into it I'm sad to hit pause on it now because uh, I think it, we're we're cooking with gas, and gas is where it's at. Uh, really, really happy with where the show is at at the moment.
0: What about you, Rob? What are your your ultimate takeaways, or do you have anything else you'd like to talk about coming into yeah, this? Yeah,
1: uh, I wanted to just mention that. Um we have touched on a lot over the years of uh, that Kim uh, and her fandom for the Kansas City Royals. And I thought yes. that, that in her like maybe most important uh, scene in the series, she's wearing that Kansas City Royals uh, shirt. So I have to feel like, uh probably not a coincidence. And I wonder if that's uh, just like, uh, you know, another big uh, cl- hint towards uh, that she might not be that far from where uh gene is and maybe I, i i do feel like that we end up seeing her uh in that uh you know uh epilogue that we get one of these days also uh that the flashback to kim this season i always thought uh like i thought that was like a super important thing and it just like uh sticks with me still that line when her mom drives away like you just don't listen yeah and i have to feel like that that's also like one of the most important lines in uh the five seasons of the show that we're gonna just like uh go back and like the, you know uh, that kim she just uh didn't, didn't listen listen to what the bad choice road story uh chuck uh <laughs> howard uh, like who is it that she didn't listen to all of the above yeah,
0: and yeah then- jeremiah panhorse had written in and said the same thing kim's starting to head down the same path that her mother was on when kim said that to her so I think you guys are on the on the right page there.
1: Yeah, uh and Kevin. And also then, uh, finally, I want to give a shout out to, uh, my buddy Roy Wood Jr., who yes. was in the episode, not Kiva. Roy Wood Jr., mm-hmm. and, uh, that he was the person who was the, uh, fellow, uh, defense attorney, public defender, uh, at the courthouse, uh, who handed off all of the files to Kim Wexler and brought her into the vault. So, uh, I was very excited to see, uh, Roy Wood Jr., who I used to podcast with, uh, uh, once upon a time uh way back when he's gone off and to do uh really great things on in his career on the daily show and on of st- uh, stand-up work uh but it's great to see him uh making what i believe to be
2: uh his uh dramatic acting debut here in better call Saul. well th- that could be a road for you right like i think like uh rob Sesternino turned dramatic actor podcaster turned dramatic actor would be fun i think that makes a lot of sense I like they, your-
0: uh, I if I recall, Robin, those days that you podcasted with Roy Wood Jr., uh, none other than the great Terrell Owens said you were one of LA's great up and coming young comedians. Yes, so, yes, yeah, you could, uh, you could <laughs> easily right. more.
2: He was, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Is yes, it
0: just mirrored Does Rob look older on this podcast? Um, Rob looks um, older kidding.
2: right now on this podcast than when we started the podcast. Than he did mm-hmm. ten years ago. Right?
0: <laughs> Um, this, uh, it, it, you're, they loved Roy Wood on the producer podcast. He's and so if funny. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think they specifically said, you know, we, they were, I, th- I think what the story was that one of the writers was talking it over with their spouse. Um, and their spouse was like, what about Roy Wood? Like, because they were a big daily show fan mm-hmm. and said, we, we, why don't you get Roy Wood on the show? And they were like, well, I don't think we can get Roy Wood. But we'll give him a shot. And they got Roy Wood specifically trying to get Roy Wood. It yeah. was not one of those open call yeah. like your agent tells you to go. They wanted Roy Wood. They got Roy. I'm Wood. I'm
1: sure he was a fan of the show too. That uh, like he watches like a, a ton of uh, TV. So I, I think that he was probably uh, like uh, you know I, I don't know if he's like publicly said that he was a fan of of the show, but uh, I'm sure that he was thrilled to be part of the universe.
0: I, I didn't want to spoil that for you if you didn't know that it had happened. I didn't know. I, knew, I was like, "Oh my yeah, god, that's good." We didn't uh, we didn't give him as good of a shout out as we should have on the uh, finale podcast. Uh, but uh, they, like they, I, I I thought of you when I was just like, "Oh, Rob is going to love the fact that his boy." <laughs> Roy Wood shows up here. Uh, that was really cool. Like, uh, that, was that looks good. a
1: lot like Roy Wood Jr.
0: got <laughs> <laughs> Roy Wood, a, It's at a Roy Wood Jr. type. Well, you know what? Right the, the
1: scene Is was right? w- was <laughs> oh, no. um, uh, shot like almost like completely in silhouette, and so it was a little hard for me to like like the way the way that that scene was shot in the stairwell. Like it was so like the, the there was the, the like the light coming through, and I don't know like stylistically what that was supposed to represent, but uh, it wasn't like the the best lit scene. So I was like, I was like, is that Roy? Is that Roy Wood Jr.?
0: Yeah, uh, it was. It was, uh, it, they, not only did they specifically try to get Roy Wood Jr. for that scene. Uh, one of the other things they remarked about, it's a real on their pleasure,
2: producer- by the way, to keep hearing you guys say the words Roy Wood Jr. over and over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, I, I love the way that it sounds coming from you both. Mm-hmm. Roy Wood Jr.
0: They got Roy Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the other things that they did was for one of the very first times, Uh, the piece of music that was used when Kim was wandering throughout the room looking at all the cases as Roy Wood Jr. was going over the types of cases that were in there. That was one of the very first times they had ever scored directly for Kim, that they had ever given Kim her own music or her own themes. Uh, That is something certainly to keep an eye on. I think, Josh, that goes with what you're saying or what you just said recently, which is that Um, I like the
2: way that Roy Wood Jr. sounds coming. You like the way that Roy Wood
0: Jr. sounds. It sounds exactly melodic like that music they scored for Kim. Uh, No, it goes with what you're saying about how the show is really picking up steam with Kim Wexler. Like they're really getting to a point. uh, And it may not be that just request Wex is somewhere where we end up, uh, but we have a a really fascinating 13 episodes to look forward to uh, as we get to that point with Kim Wexler. I think, you know, Josh, you said you may not, you may be losing a lot of these details if you don't go back and rewatch One of the things that occurred to me last time I rewatched it, and I may have said this at some point on the podcast, is that after season one of Better Call Saul, they very clearly in my mind, now that we know the full story of being the story of Jimmy and Kim, they press a hard reset button uh, so that by the end of season two, episode one, whether uh, Jimmy and Kim will be a thing and to what extent and whether Jimmy's antics will influence that one way or the other. That is the central story that they put right at the heart of the beginning of the second season. It is to the point where Jimmy is driving away at the end of season one, and they have him turn around at the beginning of season two, uh, and they have him at Davis and Maine by that second season, second episode or so. So Jim, uh, Jimmy and Kim is put right there on center stage. And since then, I think their relationship being so central to the show, how they relate to one another, where the negative ener- where the negative energy comes from in that relationship, and where those interactions lead them, has been so clear to see that arc out and where it is going right now. It's really really cool to see, and yeah. you're right. It's hard to say. Like I'm ready for it to end. This is a show that at the end will break. Will better call Saul have run longer than Breaking Bad by the I end in terms right of episodes?
2: At, right around the same amount of time. I think crazy pretty close, me.
0: yeah, absolutely crazy. Rob, would you have predicted that when we started podcasting about Better Call Saul all those seasons ago? No, uh,
1: I mean I think that I was, uh, you know, certainly you know, vocal over the course of uh, podcasting the first four seasons that at times it felt like that they were meandering, but I also think that they were, and I think that they did finally figure out what they wanted to do. That I think that the great thing about this writing team uh, is that they can uh, ultimately take an idea of like, all right uh walter white has the machine gun in the back of the car what is the story to ultimately get there and so they started like writing this show and i don't think that they had a clear idea in mind of what it was going to be and as we're talking about now like they did a really uh big recentering of what the show was going to be about into the second season and and i think that they ultimately found like this uh really compelling story to tell and now that they know what they want the story to be they're going there and they're firing on all all cylinders but i did think it took them probably a long time to figure out what the story was that they wanted to tell
2: yeah Agreed. So it's it's going to be sixty three episodes on Better Call Saul. It was sixty two on Breaking Bad plus El Camino. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna net out right around the same amount.
0: That is crazy to think yeah. about. Yeah, uh, it's also crazy to think about. This is uh, going to be our last podcast of the season, as far as we know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Josh, you have any Sorry. any any further lamentations before we wrap up here?
2: Uh no, but now I'm just thinking about Arnold Schwarzenegger because he says lamentations and Conan in a great way. Um but uh no, I don't.
1: Lamentations.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and you're the lamentations of the women is what he says. Um, I <laughs> love this show and I really loved this season. I thought this was the best season of the show for sure. Um uh and I'm I'm really glad uh that I got a chance to to weigh in on it. Rob, thank you for uh, pulling me into this into mm-hmm. this world. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure uh, to to do the thing that we do here on Po Show Recaps, which you say at the start of this uh, podcast, we broke down. You know, we break down the episodes. It makes you feel like a butcher, right? Like it makes you feel like you're like you're like surgically like getting into the under the hood of a show uh, and to the frunk into the frunk of the show and that is that's my stuff i really really love doing it and this is a show that really rewards that kind of work uh the leaning forward of it um and it was just a blast to do so uh mad props to you rob for pulling me in and antonio for all the tireless work you've done all along the way here
0: props to you guys uh for sure rob uh thank you so much for coming on the couple episodes that you did this season with us i i'm so when you have texted me a couple times throughout the season, I was so thrilled that you were keeping up with Better Call Saul. Because, like you said, I know in the past, uh, a couple seasons of the show have felt more meandery, and it's not a thing that you know, feels like appointment television. But I'm so glad uh, that you stayed along uh, with us and that so many people did uh, throughout the season. I'm glad that. The show is rewarding that investment that people are making in it.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. And uh, of course, I-, I love listening to you guys. Uh, and it's a uh, treat to ever uh, come on and uh, talk with you both about a show.
0: And of course, we remain thankful to everybody behind the scenes at Post Show Recaps uh, who have worked with us throughout the season. Josh, you know more specifically about every person that does every job than I do. I know Brendan Fitzpatrick has done a lot with the social media uh Aspects, uh, Stevie and Alex on the back end with the production. Am I leaving anybody out here? Sam There's Moore, just been great Sam stuff. Moore
2: is huge for everything that we're doing here organizationally. Yes, yeah, Stevie Z, Alex Urbino So huge props to to everybody and and the Fitz, uh, who's uh, who's making everything happen for us socially. Um, literally, just like in terms of my, he's got my social appointments uh, taken <laughs> care of. <laughs> oh, that's uh, why I have to get in touch <laughs> with. Yeah, you got to talk to Fitz. uh oh, you be- keep telling
0: better, me quarantine,
2: quarantine. Better call Fitz. No, so yeah. lot. Lo- Lots of great people making all this happen. All
0: right. Well, if we find another reason to, we will be back to podcast, but we will certainly plan to return for the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul. Uh, Until then, uh, stay careful out there, everybody. Uh, Stay safe, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you.